one of our values, I just want to take a minute here, well, about me, about 10 minutes, and I want to say a few things about worship because I believe that God is just has a touch upon uh, our community and worship. So I wanted to say a few things. So it'll be about 10 minutes, then we'll get into the message and all that. But I want to just take this moment to unpack some thoughts on worship. The scriptures there are in your notes if you want to look there. But one of our great values, our great vision, when this church was started, is we saw the sanctuary would be a worshiping church. And what does that look like, that we would be a worshiping church? It looks like this, that we would be a church that responds, that responds to all that God is, and all that God has done with all that we are. Now, I want to unpack, well, what does that look like? Well, I want to unpack that this morning. And I get it. Some people come to church, and maybe your church experience has been one where you were never in that kind of worship zone, or perhaps you're more cerebral or a thinker type, and you're not into, like, what we did this morning. I get that. But I want to say this, that worship is way more than music. Worship is way more than style. Worship is, is bigger than Sunday mornings. See, worship, what it is, is its core. It's an expression of your gratitude for who God is and what God has done. And so I want to read some scriptures and speak the scriptures over our lives here, beginning in Hebrews chapter 13, that really speak to us about what we are to be as a worshiping people. So check this out on the screens there, and you have them in your notes. It says, therefore, let us, that includes us this morning, Offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Notice it says there, continual, not just on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, continual offering praise to God. So what does that speak of? But really the whole totality of your life, your lifestyle, let us continually offer this. Notice it says this, what is it that we offer up? says a sacrifice of praise to God. Now think, I want you to think about that a moment. Sometimes you come to church on Sunday morning, you've had a bad week. Bad things have happened. But note this, when you are offering up a sacrifice of praise, it's not based just on your, your circumstances or how your week went. There is a sacrifice of praise that we give to God. So let me unpack that here because... This is really based on who your view of God is and what is the sacrifice that he's made for you. And you're responding to that. See, with sacrifices, it says that God is pleased there. So God's already made a sacrifice for you, a great sacrifice, a tremendous sacrifice. And in worship, I am responding, I am echoing back the tremendous sacrifice that has been made to me, and I am offering up to God then a sacrifice to him. But a, but a sacrifice has already been made there. The sacrifice of God's love. How great is his love for us? And so think about this. For God to get you to the place that you needed to be, in your relationship with him, if you're a Christ follower, God had to make a sacrifice. And God made a willing sacrifice. He willingly made that. God who could do anything that he wanted to do. But to get you from being spiritually dead to alive, from being uh, just hopeless to hopeful, from being doomed to forgiven, God had to make a great sacrifice for you. So in response to what he did for us, we offer up a sacrifice of praise. And when his love begins to really touch your heart and become real to you, what he did, it sort of unhinges your heart a little bit and frees you that you can, you can offer, offer up 
a sacrifice of praise to him. So notice, though, it's not out of obligation. It's not out of ought to or have to. It's or, or religion or guilt or pressure or that the preacher is talking about it here. So my sacrifice is a response to God's sacrifice. And so really, what is worship then? It is a lifestyle of gratitude. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself, what? A living sacrifice. That's how you're living your life before God then. So it's a lifestyle of gratitude there. And I get it. Some people are like this. Well, you know, it's just not my personality, the whole thing there. And so, so how are you going to respond? I want to read you a few scriptures here about how we respond. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Reasons why we respond to God in worship. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exclamation point. Maybe sometimes when you're reading your Bible there, all praise to God. Maybe you just need to stop and like, you know, give praise to God. It says, now why? It's by his great mercy that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with a great expectation. And so this is why we worship God. Okay, not because of religion, but because there's a resurrection. We worship a living Jesus. We worship a Jesus then who has great mercy. He's not a God in the sky there that's angry at us or mad at us, but there are endless oceans of mercy. And we respond to that in worship. We're not here to celebrate religion. We're not here to celebrate uh, anything other than Jesus Christ in the resurrection there. And so uh, we respond to that. And so I think that Americans in general, you try, I talked to Taos about this many times, that in other countries all over the world, people are, are much more expressive than we are in America. Uh, now I get it with some extroverts there. But in general, but in general, as a nation here, we don't really respond to God like they do all around the world when they gather in church because it's just part of their culture. They grow up in school singing, and so they're just used to it as a culture there. So they come into church, they just naturally, they're loud and exuberant and expressive there. But Americans, are, we're not like that. So why do we respond in worship? First Peter, a few verses down, verse 18 says this. Now you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited, and it wasn't paid with mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And so the way that you were saved, it was the blood of the Lamb of God, a precious blood. And so the, our response to that cannot just be sort of uh, ordinary run of the mill when it was a precious blood of God that was spilled that we could know him and, and walk with him. And finally, in First Peter chapter 2, it says, but you, okay, again, look at what God, is, what, is, what God has done for you, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's special possession. Watch the operative words here. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. All that God has done for you, look at that. He pulled you out of, a, out of an empty life. He made you a people separated unto himself. You are his possession, his special possession. Why? 
that you may respond to that with your life there. And how do you do that? Declaring the praises of him, of what he's done for you, calling you out of darkness and into the light there. That's you may. So why do we worship him? Because we have to? Because we ought to? Because we're forced to? No, because our hearts are awakened to him and because we may. So, and I really believe that when you encounter the grace of God, you encounter the reality of the love of God, you encounter Jesus Christ, that just unhinges you in the depths of your being that you can have a lifestyle of gratitude and praise toward him. So just a few thoughts on worship, okay? So, and um, yeah, you can clap. And uh, uh, we want to be a church that claps. It's free to clap and respond and uh, say right on or amen or whatever else, okay? So I'm going to illustrate this uh, in about uh, at the end of the end of our time together. I'm going to illustrate what I just talked about. You wonder what that ladder is there? You're going to you know find out what that ladder is. And that bucket right there, you'll be thinking about this until I do it. That bucket is filled with water there. I'm going to illustrate this point. What I was talking about, and it's going to be very real to you. And so uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to be dropping. I'm going to be dropping a little preview. A little preview. I'm going to climb up that ladder. Don't worry, we've got good insurance at this church. So uh, then we got good people that can run it if something happens to me. But I'm going to climb up there to the top, and I'm going to drop this because see what happens in your heart is it when 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 all of this is real when like there's like a boulder of grace that hits your heart, it changes your response there. And so this bucket here is like your heart. That bucket is like your heart. And that bucket represents like how you respond to God's grace, to the gospel, to the good news, to the sacrifice that Jesus made, to everything. We're talking about that, and I'll do that in just a little bit. And so, but here we are, Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. We're going to continue walking through this incredible book of 2 Timothy, and the theme of this is no regrets. No regrets. How do you live your life with no regrets? Anybody here want to have a regret-free life? You have enough regrets, don't you? We'd like to have a regret-free life. So Paul now is facing the prospect of death. He's going to lose his head in a very short while here. He says, I finished the race with no regrets. And he begins, of all the people he can write to, he writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, let me tell you how to do it. So that's what we're unpacking here. And he says, he begins to say, we saw, just reviewing here. Uh, actually, um, let me read through this. If you would stand to your feet, and I'm, we're going to read First Peter, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. So listen, this is the word of the Lord. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and of self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, Timothy, even though I'm in prison for him. The strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. And he did this not because we deserved it, but because this was the plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he's made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. You, you, you may be seated. So, Father, we know that heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. And we pray that with the help of the Holy Spirit, you would um, speak to us things we need to hear and help us to understand that we could lay hold of the words 
and that the word would lay hold of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 7 God says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. That includes us here. And so he's writing to Timothy here, who's this unusually gifted and talented individual, this young man here in his 30s. But he's a mess, and his life is full of fear. And he's overwhelmed, and he's punching out. And his spiritual gift there that he had is just beginning to to wane there and and falter. He's beginning to shut down. He's beginning to become dormant in terms of the spiritual gift. And even though he's this remarkably gifted man, he's not operating in who he was called to be because of fear. And that's what fear can do to you. Although he's a very gifted man, now he's stuck. Now he's in a place of being stifled. Now he's in a place fear has caused him to be inactive with the expression of how God gifted him. So he's dormant. He's beginning to flounder here in his purpose in life there. You see, although God gives you gifts, it's not automatic that they would come to expression. So his gift is being neutralized. I want to I put it this way. It was like the gift then was becoming like withered, withered. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's got all these gifts in his life. Look at that. Look at that. That's like what he was becoming. He was becoming withered there, and he was drying up. And he wasn't really coming, uh, expressing the gifts that God had given him. Though he's the pastor of the church there in Ephesus. And, that's, and so Paul is a bit alarmed here. Paul is a bit concerned that that's his life. When God gifted him, God gifted him to be fruitful, there to be fruitful like this, and to be uh, expressing his gifts. See, your gifts bring fruit, and so he's supposed to be like that, but he was being, uh, he was withering up in, in the expression of his gifts. So Paul says, look, you need to stir up, you need to renew the gift. You need to renew that and feed it and fan the flame. Timothy, you need to relight the fire of your heart. You need to be intentional about what God has given you and discover your gift and dedicate your gift to God and develop your gift and deploy your gift there. But Timothy, you've got to do something. And so he writes it with great concern. He says, look, Timothy, what's all over you and what you're about? The fear. God didn't give you that spirit of fear there to neutralize you and immobilize you there. So he says, consider what God has given you. And I'd like us to, to pause and to consider what God has given us. He says he's given you power and love and, and discipline there. And so he says, look, you've got discipline. God has, watch, has already in the bank, already downloaded, has given us, it's available to you, that when the Spirit of God indwells the child of God, okay, you possess the power of God in your life. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So there's the Holy Spirit coming alongside you to strengthen you, to help you to live your life that you're called to live there. The Bible says in Acts 1.8, God will give you power, dunamis, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you get the Holy Spirit when you're a Christ follower. And so he says also he's given you this power, but of love, a new capacity to love there. See, you've never been uh, loved like this before, the love of God coming to you. And the Bible says that uh, in Romans that the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to you. So then he says in verse 8, says, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. 
Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him with the strength God gives you. Be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Now, what is the good news? It's called the gospel, but, but what is the gospel? You, you, you've been around church. You've heard that phrase, the good news, the gospel. What is that? See, the gospel or the good news is literally the good news of God there. It is when your life is empty, when you're alienated from God, when the deepest places, the deepest recesses of your heart, where you are thirsty for God, thirsty for a relationship with your creator there, and just to, to connect with him, and your human heart in its own pursuit there uh, is alienated from God. And there's really nothing that you can do. There's, there's no hope, and there's no way that you could ever build this, this bridge to God. The good news is this, is that when sin is entered into the relationship, into the equation, and it's broken our relationship with God, and we could never earn our way back to God, we could never work our way back to God, God did something so epic, so audacious, so stunning, so shocking, that God that made the world a God-rejecting world there, he rescued the world And Jesus showed up. That's the good news there. That in our brokenness, God opened the door. God made a way. God bridged the gap through his death of his son on a cross there. And so the good news is that God made the first move. God made a way. God came to our planet. It's all God. There's nothing that we can do. So God sends Jesus to our planet to die for our sins, to absorb the wrath of God and the judgment of God, that we could have a right standing with God. That's the good news. That's what Paul was in prison for. The good news is this. All you have to do is say yes to God, to trust in Jesus there. And our past sins, our present sins, our future sins, our sins are forgiven, fully forgiven, freely forgiven forever. And so the good news is this, the gospel is this here, that Jesus Christ is the best news imaginable for all people for all time. That's the gospel. Yes! So he says, Timothy, in light of that, why would you be ashamed? We're made to feel ashamed on college campuses. You're made to feel ashamed there. But he says, don't be ashamed in that culture. Jesus is a crucified criminal. And the Christ followers, they're all, they're all seen as, as insurrectionists and burning Rome. And so they were in, in a really bad place, and it could be fatal for following him. So he says this. Here's the good news. Here it is. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this. Not because we deserved it, but because he was, this was his plan from the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And so I want to express it this way. And that is that religion, the religions of the world, every really world religion is like this. You have to figure out how you're going to make your way to God. And so uh, you have to climb the ladder then so you can make your way, find your way to God. And so this morning, there are 1.5 billion people, 1.5 billion people that are trying to climb their way to God. And so they, uh, they get up in the morning and they pray. That's a good thing. And five times a day, they have times, five times a day, one, two, three, four, five times a day, they pray. And so, uh, and they do work so they can try to get close to God. And if you, and if you give, in that religion, if you give your life 
in terms of the holy purpose there, then you can ascend all the way and you're transported to a place where you can be in God's presence there. So that so there's a ladder to get to God in 1.5 billion people this morning. There's another uh, religion where they do more meditation. And so that's about a billion people. And so people that meditate then, about a billion people of, uh, on the planet today, about a billion people, they meditate, and whatever they do. So they meditate, and they try to, yeah, can you illustrate that, Chuck? There it is, yeah. They meditate. They meditate their way to God. And so that's how they get to God, is they climb the ladder through meditation. And so it's quite a cool view up here, actually, looking at all of you from this viewpoint. You're a good-looking group. You're a good-looking group. So anyway, so then you have, then you have another 15%, 15% of the population that the way they say that you get, you climb the ladder to God is like this. You just reincarnate. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to bag on any of these, these religions. I'm just saying this is a reality. This is a reality in the world. Okay. And so, so their reality is that you reincarnate, and if you're, you're a, a, an animal form of some time and you're, you're a good animal, like you're a cat, maybe then you come back as maybe a dog or something. And then uh, you're a good dog, uh, you come back as uh, another dog, whatever. And so... Uh, and if you keep being good and you come back to life and you keep climbing this ladder by being good, okay, you have to keep being good. And finally, you make yourself in the presence of God through reincarnation, through meditation, through service and sacrifice. And so, and I get it. We're from America, America. And so, and we, and many of us, you are Christ followers in America. And you say, well, we, we would never do that. I'm getting a little cardio in here this morning. I just want you to notice that. Feel a little winded going up and down here. So, anyway, so you're from America. You're from America, and uh, we have the same thing, really, in our culture. So you just have to be a good person, right? How do you get your way to God? You just got to be a good person and help somebody, a little old lady crossing the street. Uh, whether she wants to go across the street or not, you just drag her across the street, and you make her go across the street. You'll get some good points with God there. And if you're a good person and you live a right life and you don't, cheat on your wife and you don't cheat too much on your taxes there, then you will uh, be a good person and you'll be cool with the big guy in the sky. You'll be cool with the big guy in the sky. So that's how we are as a, as a, as a nation. But then, you, but then I want to drill down a little more because in church world, I've been around church world a little enough, enough to make these observations in church world. So in church world, we sit subtle. It's, it's subtle. But see, to make your way, it's very, very subtle you have to go to church, but you have to go to the right church. Yeah, you can't just go to any old church. You've got to go to the right church, and then you've got to have the right Bible translation. You can't have that old King James and all that, or the King James people think you're going to hell if you don't have the King James translation, really. It's crazy out there. And so, uh, so people have these little rules they make up about really how you get closer to God, and you have to pray. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. And uh, you have to read your Bible, and you have to take notes. And when they sing the songs in church on the slow songs, you've got you to gotta be into it and act like you're really into it, like you're constipated or something, and you're, and you're singing the slow song. And on the fast songs, you've got to jump up and down a little bit there, like you had a little too much caffeine. And so anyway, then if you do all these things, like you get closer to God. And so it's subtle and a little odd, but, but we still have some of that uh, going on inside of us. And so I want to suggest to you, I want to suggest to you what Jesus did. I want to suggest to you that it's the complete opposite. 
It's the complete opposite. And so watch what he did here. It says this, watch. I'm going to read to you from the scriptures what Jesus did. Because Christianity, we, God knows we can never climb the ladder. And here's God. And he starts from a place where he could go no higher. And to meet us, he goes to a place where he could go no lower. I'll watch here is the gospel. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He began to descend. And instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And he took upon himself the position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. That's the gospel. You see, God, while the world religions are all saying, you have to climb your way to God, God in Christ climbed down to us. And that's what the gospel says. Yeah. Yeah. I deserve a drink of water. And so this is the good news. Jesus shows up and he flips the script. Jesus shows up here and he changes the game. No longer do people have to climb their way to God. Now God has exited heaven and climbed his way to earth there, descended, and God comes to us. And come, God comes down the ladder that we could never climb up there. And it says this. It says that God saved us. See, it's all God there. It's a, 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 uh, a works plus, it's a, it's a believing in Christ plus nothing plan. Not works. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Titus 3.5. But by his mercy, he saved us. And so you cannot earn your way. So God saved us and called us to a holy life. We're made unholy. He calls us to be holy from dead to life, from sinner to saint there, from darkness to light. To show us the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians again, for by grace you're saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Titus said he saved us, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy. And so he climbed down that ladder. In verse 10, now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death. The resurrection power of Jesus punches death in the mouth and says, we're going in a different direction. So no more sting, no more power there. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. So let me put it this way, like, what does the good news mean to you? And I said in the beginning that worship is responding to all that God is and all that he has done with all that you are. Well, how are you this morning responding to that here? You see, how big is the gospel to you? How big is the sacrifice of Jesus to you? Like, what does it mean to you? How does that register in your heart? And how do you respond to that? I want to suggest that if, the, that if the gospel is about this big, and the sacrifice of Jesus is about this big, and the love of God is about this big, there's your heart 
And here's the response of your heart if it's that big. Got a little bit out of that anyways there. For other people, go to church, and um, it's a lot better to follow Jesus and go to heaven than the, the alternatives. Better than the alternatives, right? It's about, it's about that big. Y- your view of God, about that big. Yeah. So God is big enough that, hey, every Christmas rolls around every Easter. Yeah, God to me is about that big. His love, what he means to me in my life, that's reality. But there's other people, maybe some of them are here this morning, that it's registering you, and I wish I could do like a big boulder, but this is the biggest I got and the biggest that the technical crew would let me carry up, okay? (laughs) So I had one twice this big, and they wouldn't let me use it. So for others of us, your heart becomes a little unhinged because, see, there's this boulder of grace, boulder of grace that registers in your heart, and the sacrifice of his love, the goodness of God to you, how you view him is like this, and this is the response of your heart. And let me just say this. I made quite a mess here this morning, and uh, we had to cover everything up. But watch, watch. There's a point here. When the boulder of grace hits your heart, you can't contain it. You can't contain it. And there is a response Look all around you. There's a response in the heart to a boulder of grace when the boulder of grace hits your heart. And you can't be the same. I get it. It's football season. And uh, I get it that, uh, guys, we love football. But There's a response to what we love. Uh, and we respond to that. We react to that, whether it's a fist pump, whether we raise our hands, whatever it is. But... but but there's a response all over. And, but then we come to church, and so I got a little frozen shoulders. Like the arms don't quite work the same because I'm a man in church. But when the boulder of grace hits your heart, it unhinges within you. It will unhinge worship. We worship all that he is and all that he has done with all that we are. You can live the rest of your life. You can live the rest of your life like that. And that will be your response to the gospel, the good news of grace that God has done for us, which we could never do for ourselves. Climbed the ladder, came down, died for us. Watch, watch. Died for us so that he could take us back to God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Thank you that you are the God that meets us again and again and again, that you meet us. And so, Father, we 
Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to hear from you, to hear your word, to hear about what you want for us. The good news has been extended to us. So if you're here this morning, you can look up. You're here this morning, and you feel like, I would like the good news to be good news on a personal level. I want to believe you can experience the boulder of, of God's grace. And when you get married, you say a couple words in a moment that change your life forever. I do. And when you follow Jesus, you say a couple words that really change your life forever. I believe. And so... If that's you, wherever you're at, and today, you want to receive Christ, you want to have that boulder of grace in your heart, you want to know forgiveness, you want to take the first step in being his follower, in just a moment, we're going to give you the opportunity, wherever you're sitting, to say, I believe. And so Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you want the resurrected life to be in your life, You'll just say, I believe. God has a gift for you, his son there. And so if that's you this morning, you want to receive Christ as your savior, you want to begin the journey right here and right now. We're going to pause for a moment, and you can say right in your seat, I believe. So, Father, thank you that you made a way that you climbed down the ladder, the ladder we could never climb up. So, Father, I pray that as you look at your children, you would bless them. You want to put yourself in a posture to receive God's blessing. And, Father, may your mercy be new every morning to them. Would you watch over them? Would you keep them by your power and your love? Would you cause your face to shine upon them? Father, would you be gracious to them? And would you turn your attention toward them? In the midst of their battles, when they're having that fear, would you give them hope and strength in your spirit and give them your peace? And would you do this and more and cause the boulder of grace to be real and that we would respond to that this week? And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you next week.